Welcome back to the Brendan Option and Father Gerard here, coming to you from Westport, sitting here as you all are at the feet of Father Brendan Kilcoin. How are you, Father Brendan? Very well, and my feet also, very well. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to you today at the end of June here, uh, the month of the Sacred Heart. Great devotion, international devotion to the Sacred Heart is very strong, but I think in Ireland it's particularly strong. Yeah. I think there isn't a house really without the Sacred Heart picture. That's right. That was a huge devotion for the Irish people mm. for, for a very long time, yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember always having a little very tiny picture of the Sacred Heart with me when I was doing exams and stuff like mm. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I still have that picture, I think. That you had one picture. hanging in your house as well? That's right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, long before we heard of the Divine Mercy, which is a fantastic devotion. Yeah. And a, a devotion for our times very much. But the Sacred Heart, uh, I, I often think of Father Michal McGrail. <laughs> uh, did I tell you this story? Father Michal McGrail, fantastic uh, Jesuit priest. Uh, he's, he's well up in his 80s now, sociologist, still, still practicing, still writing. Um, a Westport man, former army officer, a re remarkable life. He remembers after a, it was in, outside the church in Gardner Street in Dublin, after mm -hmm. the, the Novena to the Sacred Heart, an old woman, a Moor Street trader, came up to him and there was an English priest standing beside him. And the tears were running down her, her seamed and, and worn face. And she was clutching a picture of the Sacred Heart uh, that she had just bought at a stall. And she said, I can't do accents. They, 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 it'd be in a thick Dublin accent. <laughs> she said, here, Father, she said, bless that for me. I love the blank Sacred Heart. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the English priest was scandalised. <laughs> but as he pointed out, no more devout comment had been made in the entire thing like she, she she was just radiating faith mm. and faith is very much on my mind today as it's very much very much emerging as something that we have to we we really have to uh, pick at this scab i'm afraid mm. you know this is this is a a, a, a a beautiful remarkable wonderful profoundly human and divine thing is the meeting of the human and the divine and it's also heartbreaking and lonely in its way and that is the path of faith. Last week you spoke about leadership, and I think that that, that yeah. loneliness really comes into that with regards to the faith. It does, and yeah. and and I spoke about that. You know, just just the weirdness of it. Most leaders are. They, I mean, they have to accept that they're quite. They they are quite weird. You can't be a leader if you're not. You have to have decided that you'll stand out, and it's a very dangerous matter to stand out. You can't afford to stand out too much, or they won't understand you. But if you don't stand out at all, you're not leading. Mm. So it, it is a really tricky business, and no, none more than the spiritual leader. The spiritual leader is lonely, and the, priest, the church has in its wisdom underlined that with celibacy for the priest. The priest is the leader par excellence in spirituality. Well, actually, the leader par excellence is the bishop, who is the direct line of succession. But there's very little the bishop can do that we can't do in an emergency. Up, you know, true, yeah. you know, we can do practically everything in emergency. Uh, uh, my understanding is that I think priests were allowed to ordain a bishop in the gulags with a mandate from the Pope. Right. right. So there's very little we can't do. We can, if we can pass on the episcopate, we can do everything. Yeah. So the, the 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 priesthood, there is more to the priesthood than leadership, but leadership is indivisible from the priesthood. You can't understand the priesthood without the concept of leadership. You simply can't. We follow the man called the master whose own followers called him the master, um, the, leader par, the, the leader and, this is crucial for this talk, the teacher par excellence. Mm. 
yeah. And teaching and leadership are closely connected. Yeah, hugely important in, in people's lives. So what's on the menu for today? Well, I, th- I thought again, you know, the last day I said we, we, we'd just perhaps have a, have a sous-son, a little, a little spoonful of, of Kierkegaard. And in fact, I give you a good ladle. <laughs> and, 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 and today I thought I'd just ladle you out another little bit. Now, I'm not going to just keep on about him, and it's certainly not that I'm so scholarly in the matter, but he, he's a powerful writer um, and a prophetic writer. Let others complain that our age is evil. My complaint is that it is paltry, for it is without passion. People's thoughts are thin and flimsy as lace. They themselves are as pitiable as lace makers. The thoughts in their hearts are are too paltry to be sinful. For a worm it might be considered a sin to harbour such thoughts, but not for the human being being shaped in the image of God. Their desires are stodgy and sluggish, their passions sleepy. They do their duty, these hucksters, but like all their kind, they let themselves clip the coin just a little. They think that however well the good Lord keeps his books, they can still get away with cheating him a little. Fie upon them. That's why my soul always reverts to the Old Testament and to Shakespeare. There at least one feels that it's human beings talking. Their people hate. Their people love. Their people murder their enemy and curse his descendants through all generations. Their people sin. By hell, I tell you, that man can write. Okay, there's eating and drinking in that, as they used to say about Guinness. (laughs) That's powerful stuff. There's the passion. And who hasn't felt like that at times about our pastel coloured, pastel shaded times? Mm. You know, our times that are full of management, our times when the committee, the dreaded rough beast of Yeats' poem, the committee has slouched towards Bethlehem to be born. This is the age of the committee. This is the age of the committee. And you know what they say about a camel, a horse designed by a committee. Jordan Peterson is killed pointing out uh, or talking about the Pareto principle is that in any situation only a small percentage of the people there will do the work. You can melt away in a committee. I know. And on every committee there's only a tiny number of people who can actually be counted on to do something. This is a huge problem with committee work. It's a huge problem with our age which puts... Consultation is its watchword. It has nearly replaced the holy name. Did you consult? Did you? Yes, I consulted. I consulted God. And of course, that's, the, that's when people really get terrified. You start consulting God, anything can happen. But did people ask the prophets, did you consult? Mm. They waited to hear from the prophets. There was only one person the prophets had to consult. They waited to hear what the prophets... They waited to hear what God had to say. Mm. The prophet brought what God had to say. The prophet told people what God had to say, which is why they all ended badly, or a lot of them. They told what God had to say. And Again, the messenger. There you go. And the prophet comes in. And do you remember the prophet is always rejected in his own land? The, our Lord was rejected by his own people. And do you remember what he said to Jerusalem? Oh, city who stoned the prophets. And he accused them on another occasion. He said, oh, you, you paint the tombs. You paint the prophets' tombs beautifully. Yeah, your ancestors killed them. 
<laughs> prophecy is central to priesthood, let me tell you. And prophecy, let, let's go further, it is central to the vocation of the baptized Christian. Isn't it in the, is it in the book of Numbers where Moses said, would, would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. Let them all prophesy. Mm. Let God speak through all of them. Yeah, and, and, and he does. I've, I've heard people who think they're ordinary prophecy. Remember what Kavanaugh said about his mother through your earthiest war, among your earthiest words, the angels stray. Do you remember the the warning I gave in the last one? It's not my warning, it's Augustine's warning. It's 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 a common to the traditions repeated by Ratzinger, that they falling asleep, mm-hmm. falling asleep in the snow. That's not the image Augustine used now. He used the image of the, the boy who'd been told by the doctor, keep your father awake. Yes. And the father's fit to choke him. But the explorers tell us how easy it is to fall asleep in the snow. You start to shut down. You know, you have to keep moving, but you want to sleep. Your whole body is... Your whole body is screaming. Mm. Okay, you want to stop, but you can't stop. What I'm saying here is I've been talking about the tradition and I, I hate the lack of pietas. I hate the lack of reverence for the tradition that has nourished us. It's like kicking away the ladder from under you. It's a stupid thing to do as well as being selfish. Because you may need to get back down for a while. It's a stupid thing to do. I hate that lack of pietas, and yet you cannot afford to simply go to sleep in the tradition. You weren't given the land, so to speak, just to lie on it and go to sleep. Mm. It's the, the ultimate uh, caricature of the conservative who never drained the land because daddy never drained the land. That's not much of a conservatism. Conservatism is about managing change. You take what was given, you keep the best of what you were given, and then you improve on it, build on it with judgment, with farsightedness, and hand it on to the next generation. Yeah, yeah? there you go. So, so we cannot fall asleep in the snow. And I'm saying that that's important because I'll tell you, the church is exhausted at the moment. Ratzinger prophesied this 50 years ago. The transition from being the nation at prayer the transition from being, as they used to say about the Conservative Party, the no, the Church of England, the Tory party at prayer, wasn't that it they used to say, or something like that. Okay, the transition from that, where we were the nation at prayer, the transition to being outcast, being a minority. You can have a fantastic life in the ghetto, as the Jews would teach us Jewish history, and we were partly to blame for having them in the ghetto. The ghetto can be an incredibly creative place, mm-hmm. but it's the transition that kills you. It's a long journey from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's making the journey without dropping dead on the road. That's what's hard. When we get there, the smaller, poorer church, we will have a vibrant life. This is before, this this side of the grave. Mm. We'll have a vibrant life as church. I don't doubt that for a second. I have theological hope, but I also have ordinary human hope and every grounds for it. We will have a wonderful life as a small church, but this transition is murdering us. We're pretending to be what we were, and we simply aren't strong enough to do it. So I'm suggesting that while you can't fall asleep in the snow, you're not going to make much progress unless you start getting rid of excess baggage. Do you remember I took the image at the beginning of the Great Voyage? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the great tricks in sailing ships was when all else failed, you simply threw everything overboard that you didn't need. You had no choice. All the ballast had to go. Anything that was, if you had to make speed. If you were to catch the wind and really make speed, maybe to get away from an enemy ship. So we, we just have to decide what do we keep, what do we throw out and keep going. Even though we're fit to lie down and die. We're exhausted. We're tired. 
we have to keep going. And not alone keep going, but we have to hand on something to the next generation. Yeah. I, it reminds me, when you speak of Pope Benedict, I remember reading a quote of, I think it was in, in Call to Communion, where he said that every new situation that we come across in life opens new aspects of the spirit yeah. to give a new expression. Yeah. And this is exactly what you're saying. There you go. It's an opportunity. And remember, Benedict talks about the creative minorities, mm-hmm. Paritos principle again. It's these small groups that get things done. Yeah, I, I, I like calling him Ratzinger because it makes me sound tough. You know? <laughs> yeah, it makes me sound so, so theologically cool. Okay, as if I've, I've read every... I actually have read a nice bit of him, but I haven't read every word he's written. He is most readable. So where do we go? Do we go into a ghetto and abandon everything? Or what's the transition? We, we have to compromise between the concept of winter quarters hunkering down and moving out. So we're going to have to move out. We need to build a ship and get on it. But if you're stuck in, in the parish and Bally Hip the back end of nowhere what does that mean oh no look I mean what I'm going to say now is going to absolutely if any bishop is listening to this they'll pull their hair out and they'll say that clown can easily sit there and say this when he doesn't have to run a diocese we're going to have to look at whether the concept of the parish is sufficiently responsive now to the needs of the faithful the diocese there's nothing can be done about that because the the episcop the, the diocese is centred on the episcopate. Mm-hmm. Canon law defines the diocese as a group of the faithful gathered around a bishop, and the episcopate is indispensable. I've, I've said that before, but the parish, well, the parish is so much a part of church tradition. It goes, it, it doesn't go back right to the beginning, but it goes back very far. It's such a part of church tradition. It can't be just jettisoned. But we're going to have to be on clustering. We're going to have to re. We're we're simply going to have to reinterpret, it. Yeah. because. We don't have enough Catholics in any one place. And when I say Catholics, I mean believers. Okay, there are excellent Catholics in Mountjoy prison doing time for murder. And they'll never get out, and some of them should never get out. There are excellent Catholics who should never be let out of jail. Okay, no, I, I think it's just crucial that we get past Phariseeism in this, okay? Because I'm not saying, oh, we're the sweet selected few, the rest of you be damned. It's the old Methodist jingle. We are the sweet selected few, the rest of you be damned. There's room enough in hell for you. We won't have heaven crammed. Okay, well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's an 18th century jingle. What do you think, what is the faithful in your mind? The faithful in my mind is a ship full of dangerous scum who are believers. All you have to do is believe. Mm. All you have to do is get down on your knees and you say, God, look at me. I am a disgrace to the parish. I am a disgrace to my family. I'm a disgrace to myself. I'm a disgrace to you. Even the dog is embarrassed by me. I can do nothing without you. Somebody who has just said that will walk into heaven ahead of a bishop or a pope. You hear me? Yeah. You hear me? And this is crucial. This is absolutely crucial. I remember the outrage with which a group of leave inserts reacted to me when I said that if you really understood Christianity, you should be able to live a life of sacrifice and abstinence, keeping the rules, maybe giving up on the possibility of of beautiful relationships for his word and his promise. And at the end, at your dying breath, see a lifelong philanderer and cheat and fraudster and confidence man and trickster and murderer get into heaven before you and clap your hands and jump up and down like a Egypt, delighted at the sight. They were disgusted. It was the most honest reaction I've ever had. Because they were young, and you see, they hadn't learned to lie yet. <laughs> I used to tell them, you know, I used to tell them, it's called hypocrisy, lads, you get better at it. 
<laughs> I'm old. <laughs> or as Jordan Peterson likes to quote, old age and treachery will always beat youth and inexperience. <laughs> I'm older. You know, they were, they were too young to be liars. And, and they reacted with a pure humanity, with, with pagan fair play. That's not fair. You remember the, you remember the, guy, the guys who, who were working all day in the field, our Lord's parable? Don't ask me where it is. They're in the Gospels. Go and look for it. And they're working all day in the fields, and he pays the guys who only worked the last hour the same. Mm-hmm. And they come back roaring at him. And he says to them, cool the body, as they used to say in the 70s. Okay. And take it easy. We came down. What did we agree on? A drachma, let's say. Whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. A denarius. I paid you the going rate. I paid you the agreed rate. If I give them the same, that's my business. What I do with my money is my business. But pagan fair play says no. And it's not nothing, this pagan fair play. It's better than the opposite. No, God's mercy goes beyond our concept of mercy and his judgment beyond our concept of judgment. And as, I won't go into it today, but as Kierkegaard loved developing... God is one scary dude. <laughs> and you'd be hard put to say whether he's scarier when he loves you than when he's punishing you. <laughs> you don't want him again you. But even for you, it's not as if you're out of the woods. Yeah. So we, we don't get to say we know God just simply. Okay, We know of him. We know something of him. Right? <sighs> Look, on this sea of modern life, we need the ship full. We need to pack it with all of the high-grade Pure bread, the finest, the finest of Catholic bloodstock, real scum, okay, who cut your throat for sixpence. You know, the sort who, as they used to say, lawyers used to use it as an example of absolute, absolute human depravity. The kind of guy who'd murder his mother with a knife sharpened on his father's gravestone. We need those who have accepted God as their only chance. It's not the typical uh, image of Piety. You know, it's not the typical image of piety, but I can assure you that, look, there are no new heresies. Was it Chesterton said that? There are no new heresies, but there are no really new sins. And there's no really new virtue except in Christ who makes all things new. The mystics hundreds of years ago can tell us all about this. And the temptations just get more subtle. Slavo Zizek, the communist philosopher, who's a big internet phenomenon, he just... Um, I, I love him because he's so neurotic, like, you know, and he's a communist and an atheist who can't stop talking about God. I, I, re- I love that. It's a real atheist. <laughs> any, any decent atheist I've ever met is obsessed with God. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. <laughs> he, he tells the story. He loves Jewish stories. I, I love the, Jew, the stories of the Jewish rabbis. I love these stories. The Jews have marvel of mordant sense of humour, which you only get, I think, when you're, you've, you've had a hard history. The Irish have it a bit, too. You know, and you've got the, these people in the synagogue. And one guy, he says, um, now Zizek tells it better, he says, he says, God, look down on me and forgive me, for I am nothing. I am nothing in your sight. It's a good prayer, right? And then the next guy, and he's a wealthy man, okay? So the next guy, his neighbor, also a very wealthy Jewish man, gets up in the synagogue and he says, God, look down on me too, for like my neighbor, I am nothing. I am absolutely nothing. So they're the, a fantastic example, these two wealthy members of the community saying they're nothing before God. And then a poor man comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Poor Jewish man. And he goes in and he says, God, like these two, I am nothing. I am nothing. And one of the rich guys says to the other, who does that guy think he is saying he's nothing? <laughs> we were nothing before him. <laughs> we get to be nothing around you. <laughs> Do you see this? 
It's, the devil, he does beautiful work. He corrupts him partially. If you decide for God, he'll take that on the chin and then he'll work within that. Mm-hmm. This, you, you cannot fall asleep here. You cannot stop moving. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to keep starting, keep starting afresh. This is, I think, what Christ meant by being childlike. I really do. Not childish. Childishness is a caricature mm. of what a child is. Uh, any child would be irritated by a childish adult. But childlike. To have that beautiful and terrifying innocence. You know the way a child will shame you in front of everyone by telling them exactly what you did say? Mm-hmm. Including the full stops and the capitals? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not that they got you wrong. What's devastating is they got you bang on. <laughs> and what's worse is that everyone in the room knows that you did say that. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> They've just heard the unvarnished... the mouths of babes. They have heard the unvarnished truth from somebody who has not yet learned to like convincing. I, I'm just, I'm reminded of Luther, right? I'm reminded of Luther. He got a lot of Catholic criticism at the time for saying this. If I've got it right, if there's a Lutheran listening, they can correct me. Maybe I'm flattering myself that a Lutheran will bother listening to me. But anyway, he said, uh, if you must sin, sin stoutly. And love God all the stoutly more. The pecca fortiter, sin stoutly. He got huge flack for that. He got huge flack from his own crowd for that. It's very easily misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But actually, it was a cry, in fairness to him, because I don't agree with Luther, obviously, but it was a cry from the heart against mediocrity. For God's sake, will you get up off your backside and do something? Will you decide? Do you remember the last talk I was talking about? We are deciding animals. Mm-hmm. We are rational animals. We are called on to make decisions. We decide. Do you think that we need to reinterpret our understanding of holiness? I think we do. I think we do. But I, I think what we need to do is rediscover something that's been said thousands of years ago. I mean, yeah. you know, it's as Eliot says in, in uh, Four Quartets, Little Gidding, T.S. Eliot, um, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring would be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Mm-hmm. Huh? And know the place for the first time. There's a circularity in the life of a wise person, of someone who learns. They detect a circularity after a while. Mm. Round and round and round. And gradually you start to understand where you are. I think the, the, the understanding of where we are, I think, and I could be wrong in this, but it's kind of missing from the life, of, particularly for young Catholics of course. now. Because it, it's very much focused on the emotions. And if you aren't feeling that sense, I could be wrong, but like this 19th century sense of holiness, yeah. of this like yeah, 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 levitating yeah. sort of business, that therefore you no longer have faith. Yeah. Well, you know, a military historian, and I'm fond of military history, was saying lately that one of the strengths of the, the officer corps in the American army, whatever else, and they would be very critical of the way a lot of political correctness has managed to come into the army. Mm. But one of the strengths of it is that the officer corps is heavily southern and has a 19th century understanding. <laughs> understanding because, it, because it's a more rural culture. Mm. <laughs> as, as, and it's still a 19th century understanding of what it is to be a leader. You know, of, 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 of what it is to be a gentleman or a lady, of what it is to stand out. And even if you're terrified, which if you're intelligent you are, of not showing it. That's the sacrifice and the loneliness involved in it. Can you imagine this loneliness of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, what do you mean by loneliness? Oh, God, the, the sense, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This, the, the journey into God forsakenness, as, as, as one critic has talked about, but we'll talk about this again. The, the sacrifice of, of, of Isaac, right? the Agatha, the, the binding of Isaac. Yeah. You know, it's a hugely important moment in the Old Testament. 
Can you imagine that journey of Abraham's? But we talk about that again. Mm. Okay, that that journey, the loneliness of it, and, and it's replicated again in the Garden of Gethsemane, where nobody else understands why this is being done, because God is under Kierkegaard. He he loved throwing this in the faces of his respectable Copenhagen Lutheran bourgeoisie. He loved it. You know, you don't understand the man you're following. You know, if you did, you wouldn't be a smug. <laughs> you know, you don't understand him. So and it's okay to be lonely in the faith? Of course it is. It's, it's, it's not okay not to be lonely. Mm-hmm. It's not good to be lonely all the time. Your prayer should bring you some consolation. Mm. But I mean, this is God. If you're waiting to be picked up and kissed and hugged like some sort of a divine Brady Bunch, like, you know, I mean, he, he ain't that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just, you know, his love is magnificent and terrifying, but it is expressed so often in silence, and that silence can be crushing for a human being. Yeah. But you must be crushed. The mills of God must crush you. Was it Ignatius of Antioch or Ignatius who, who asked that the lions would grind his bones into fine mm. dust, into flour to be made into the bread of, of the Eucharist? Oh, it was an incredible image. My God, if I saw a lion, I'd, I'd never stop running. St. Teresa of Bissou speaks about that as well. Oh, that desire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Luther says, oh, for God's sake, will you at least learn to sin if you can't be good? <laughs> and, but the interesting thing is, 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 is a man who certainly wasn't a Lutheran, Jose Maria Escriva, who founded Opus Dei. And again, I, I don't, you know, I prefer to refer to saints in a very familiar and breezy way because it makes me sound cool. Makes, you I, always I, sound cool. Well, I, 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 yeah, but I hang around with young Catholics, you know, because my own age of Catholics, if no, you know, they sort of don't take me seriously. <laughs> and, and You're the, weird. Yeah, yeah. And I, you like to try to be cool. I know, it's, it's pathetic. Uh, but Escriva says the same thing in the way, where he, he says to, to, to somebody, does it not bother you that even in your sins you are not much of a man? Jeepers, what a thing to say. Oh. I mean, the Kuridar couldn't give a haymaker like oh. that, and he fairly could give them. That's a one-liner. <laughs> I mean, that's straight to the jaw. <laughs> you just ring the bell, it's over. <laughs> yeah, you'd be carried off. And here I'd ask again, Kierkegaard is asking it in that quotation at the beginning. Oh, give me the Old Testament, give me Shakespeare for the love of God, where man can hate and curse his enemies down to the umpteenth generation. People knew at least how to sin. Mm. even if they didn't know how to love God. And this is where I worry that there, there, are better, there are better Catholics in Mount Joy than there are with some of these middle-class Catholics, these yummy mummies and fatty daddies who are, who, are, who are not passing on the faith to their kids and they're sending their kids to Catholic schools and they're doing the church's head in. They don't even give us a few quid. They won't even buy us off. And if we're honest, most priests are perfectly willing to be bought off. Okay, they won't even buy us off like at this stage. And yet they'll turn up twice, three times a year to grab an experience. I'm sorry, but I remember what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees and the Pharisees were outstanding people. It is crucial to remember that or you don't realise how terrifying his judgment was. The Pharisees were outstanding people. They, They lived a rigorous life. They were hugely admired. They were minute observers of the law, not only the written Torah, but also, because the Sadducees didn't accept this, but believers in the resurrection and devout believers in the oral Torah and the halakhic saints. The, the Archbishop, who's our Archbishop Michael Neary, who's a scripture scholar himself, he would often say, like, 
you know, that you don't really understand that part of the scriptures if you don't understand what fine people the Pharisees were. And he gives them the sally rod. Never mind the sally rod, he calls for the ash plant. <laughs> Something a little stiffer. <laughs> he gives it to them. And people would say, oh, well, that, you know, that's Matthew. Matthew didn't like the Pharisees, you know. And the, or, you know, let's try to explain the guy away. Okay, let's do what we've been doing for the last two or three hundred years. Let's try to explain the guy away. The reality is, I put it to you, the reality is the Pharisees were absolutely outstanding Jews. They were superb people, the finest of people, and he walloped them. Not because they were so far, but because they had dared to come so close and would not complete the journey. They kept clipping the coin. I, I was a curate in Connemara once. I, I came from being a, a, a seminarian and a priest in Rome. I studied in Rome and then, and then I was sent to Connemara, which was a fantastically soft landing because with Irish and everything, they had exactly the same mentality. They were, they were like Italian people with, with raincoats. And Irish, of course, has kept a lot of the pre-industrial, God-soaked quality that English once had and Russian had apparently up to the revolution. Any good examples? Oh, that tremendous thing of the way they talk about the dead being a Shlina Firna on the path of truth and not dead. I, I, I spoke about that before. Yeah. Yeah. God is in all the greetings. God is in every... God is never far from what they say. Even their curses, a yowl, the devil, <laughs> everything. It's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. But I remember, yeah, I was teaching in the secondary school, and I remember a young lad in the class saying that uh, he thought religion was gone, it was busted. This was the mid-90s, and uh, indeed there were signs that things were very bad. And uh, he, he said, I thought he was going to come at me over the scandals which were just emerging, you know. And he did before and did again later. But he didn't. And I'll tell you, I looked at him differently after this. He said, I often notice, he said, coming from Mass, he said, if there's an old person who doesn't have a car... And he said, a load of people, they'll just, they're coming from Mass and they'll pass them and they won't stop and give them a lift even though they've room. But he said, if it's an old person who has money, they'll always get a lift. Oh. And uh, I remember I told it to a Connemara congregation in a sermon and they enjoyed it enormously. It was damning the way it was put. But anyway, the, this is a hard road. It is so easy, and it's not easy, to go the whole way on this, or nearly the whole way, to become brilliant at it, to keep all the rules, to do everything right, and to still go to hell. And people are going to hear me say that, and they're going to say, oh, well, there's the old church talking, you know. But the old church, first of all, the old church knew more than you're giving it credit for, because the old church was the church, the same one we're still in. Church didn't begin with Vatican II, and I'm not anti-Vatican II, by the way. Church didn't begin with Vatican II, as Vatican II real recognised but the second thing I'd say is that if you, if you think about that whole point, I'll, I'll go back to the implications. Tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into heaven before you. What did John call the Pharisees? What brought you here, you brood of vipers? I mean, no such thing has come in for the tea like, you know, straight at them. I'm telling you, this is so unfair if you're going to apply normal standards of fairness to God. Don't make that mistake. The better you become at this, the more danger you're in. You'd nearly be safer to keep going. It is very dangerous to say there is no God. It is twice as dangerous to say there is one. Because you say there is one, your goose is thoroughly cooked. I mean, it's drizzled in extra virgin olive oil, a little balsamic, and it's ready to go. Do you do that to a goose? I don't know. <laughs> this is so dangerous to do in a mediocre way. It's a notorious problem. It's so what, we've lost our passion? We've lost our passion. 
we've, we've, uh, we've lost that love and feeling. I'm telling you, folks, I have great respect for folk songs, I have great respect for even for pop music. They keep saying the same stuff. We've lost that love and feel. I'm telling you, the love is gone. The passion is gone. In the wooing and the engagement, it's all candlelight dinners, or it's the way an old celibate imagines it. It's all candlelight dinners and violinists and you name it, and, and then later, maybe barely exchange two words because they're both coming in wrecked from work and then they have to deal with the kids and then, and then the next day they have to do it all again. And you lose the love. Routine kills everything. Respectable society kills everything. Patrick Pierce said this. He talked about the rules, the rules of living in Dublin at the time. And one of them was, he said, thou shalt not carry a brown paper parcel lest thou shock Rathgar. Because the gentlemen didn't carry parcels, they were delivered. It was inelegant to carry a parcel. That's fair. That, that's an aesthetic thing. It's fine. It's like, you know, you don't, I don't know, blue and green should never be seen or never brown in town. You know, the old rules for a gentleman's dress. You know, you don't wear, you don't wear country clothes in town and that kind of thing. Probably irrelevant now. He was saying these are being used as a replacement for religion. They're being taken as seriously. All right, can I take a very controversial view of this? Hit us. It would be terrifying now for a middle-class girl to go home and say she was pregnant. Not because of God, not because of faith or because of religion, not because of fornication, but because of the inelegance, the uncoolness, the lower class quality of being pregnant outside of marriage. And that's why they will cheerfully send her for an abortion, many of them. They will murder for the sake of appearances. Now, I have respect, not much, but I do have respect for somebody who would say straight out, I would murder for the sake of appearances. I mean, at least you're dealing with someone who's serious there. They're going to go to hell in style. But where somebody can't even see it. This was what Christ said to the Pharisees. You can't even see how close you are. And you're still missing there. Look, I can barely add, I was always useless at maths, but in astrophysics, all this kind of thing, the, the maths are absolutely crucial. Trajectories, you know, all this, they have to be utterly precise. It's the same in the spiritual life. You don't have to arrive in, in, in good shape. You do have to arrive. Mm. You do have to arrive. You miss the target, that's deep space, forever. It's an eternity of inexistence. Of, not in existence, but you know what I mean. You well, know not I mean? that it's a cop-out either. I mean, you still have to work at it. Absolutely. You have to work at it, but it can't be done without grace. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. What I'm saying here today, I'm saying to the person who's doing an outstanding job of being a Catholic, you're doing a fantastic job. Be careful or it'll be the death of you. Complete the job. Go before God and say, I have followed your law. I have lived everything. And I know that it is that there's nothing in your sight compared to the merits of Jesus Christ. Any little thing I have done, I unite to those merits and I stand before you naked. Lift me up by your grace, by your promise. Look at me and see him. You push him out in front. There is a savagery that the Catholic can never lose. If you're standing in the crowd and Jesus Christ is passing you on the way to his death, you help the Roman soldiers to make sure he gets there. This man must die. There's nothing to be done about this. Because you cannot redeem yourself and you cannot redeem humanity. Only he can redeem humanity. Mm -hmm. You can die with him, but not without him or instead of him. That's why when Peter Jimmer drew his sword, he said, put your sword back in its scabbard. What are you going to do?
if it was in the Mafia, he'd have said to Peter, here, Jeepers, people will accuse me of heresy, he'd have said to Peter, what are you doing? Guy like you? <laughs> what are you doing? Put that away. <laughs> this is a discussion between men. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you can't do it. There's a matter between him and the father and the devil. Mm. You're out of this. But you get in on his coattails. You go with him. You can't afford to miss this. Beware of the righteousness of the Pharisees, those wonderful people. Beware of them. Paul was a Pharisee. He was acutely aware of it. You can brilliantly and with complete dedication still miss the goal. Because you forget there would be no point without his grace. And you don't know how much of your own efforts have been his grace. Mm -hmm. That's why I always say that one of the greatest tragedies of the schism, it was initially a schism, of the split in the church, the Protestant Reformation, so-called. I believe it was just a tragic split, you know. One of the greatest aspects of the tragedy was that the whole division over faith and good works was, I mean, so unnecessary. But they would say, probably exacerbated by the personality of Luther. The other, some of the other Protestant divines would have been much more amenable and probably a few personalities on the Catholic side as well. You'd always get this. But you need faith and good works. What is grace for a person of faith? Oh, no, grace is God in you. Mm-hmm. As I think it was Aquinas who said it's the auto-infusion of God into the human soul. Grace is God in you. Don't go on about God's strength, God's work, God's love, God's this. Grace is God. Grace is God in you. Okay, you can, they can burn me for this afterwards, okay? But, I mean, you know, I'm, no, I'm pretty much on the right track there. They, yeah. be, I mean, a theologian would be a bit more precise, fair enough. But I'm pretty much on the right track there. So the leader needs grace. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, jeepers. If anyone needs grace, it's the leader. And if anyone can go to hell quicker, it's the leader. <laughs> I think it was Cardinal Richelieu who said that he knew many's the men who would have saved his soul in private life, damned himself in office. Leadership is so dangerous. There are so many... There, you, can, you can start, do you remember I was talking about Caesar and flattery in the last one? Yes. You start to believe your own propaganda. You start <laughs> to believe the old plumos and flattery you're being fed. Oh no, it's so dangerous. And that's why it's so dangerous for a man to have a spiritual director who has a little bit of, of psychology and not enough. Mm. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, we might all have been there. <laughs> I keep telling you, oh, you're a wonderful person. You're a great person. You're a good person. You're Okay, I, I, like, I can see where they're going, but... Do they see where they're going? The trouble there is that it's, it's well-intentioned kindness. A spiritual direction should be made of sterner stuff. Mm. Spiritual direction is profound spiritual leadership. It's not just a sort of non-directive, non-judgmental counseling. Spiritual director serves God. He's a bonded man. And if the other person has a problem with that, they shouldn't be there. So old age and treachery. You're going to get them to heaven if it kills you, if it kills them, <laughs> you know. So what is leadership then in the church? You know, you spoke about the priest, but for, for the layperson, like what is it? Is it spiritual leadership? Yeah, it, it, it is. It is, it is, it is. The, the, the priest has it ministerially, and look, that's a big discussion, and we'll go into it down the line. It's a different version of the same thing, but by virtue of your baptism, your confirmation, your reception of the Eucharist, by virtue of your initiation into the church, your church membership, you, as Christ was anointed, priest, prophet, and king, so are you a member of his body sharing everlasting life if you are willing to accept grace and not fight it off like most of us do? Mm. If you're willing to accept grace in, into your life. A leader is a master, a Catholic spiritual leader, and the priest should be the leader par excellence because of his position in the Mass. 
because of his ordination and his, his centrality of his service in the Mass. A priest has it in a very particular way, but any lay person has the call to be holy, and holiness is in itself the core of leadership. Leaders who do not lead by example are not worth a damn, and they will always be found out. Leaders may fail. Followers understand that, and there's an art to being a follower too. We can talk about that down the line. Leaders may fail, but if they fail, they must acknowledge it and do penance and pick themselves up again. Leaders may fail, but, but they may not carry on a perpetual hypocrisy that is profound. Yeah, I think that we can see that, especially we can see it in the church, we can see it in governments, where leadership fail, and they fail to acknowledge that anything happened. Yeah. And then there's this lack of trust then that continues, they, well, this, perpetuates. <clears throat> this is the problem, and you see... There's an art to failing. Yeah. If you're saying there's an art to leadership, there's an art to failing. Yeah, and I wouldn't have trusted myself either if I were a bishop in those days. I wouldn't have trusted myself, because I remember the shame I felt when we had to go to the police with the first cases. Mm. I remember the shame, and shame is paralyzing, remember that. Whereas it was guilt I should be feeling, because a fellow priest had done that, like, you know. But it was sh the shame was paralyzing. So, I mean, I'm not trying to judge a previous generation. You see? Yeah. That's, that in itself is another of the dangers. Like, you know, we're the priests now. We're the servants. We're the ones who are supposed to be bringing our people to holiness. Lay people run the world. That should take up their minds. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a fair bit to do. <laughs> lay people run the world. We don't. All right? And we shouldn't be pretending we're lay people. There's no good to that because it, what are you going to do? What are you saying? I'm going back on my promise. I said I'd serve you. And no, 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 now I'm just one of you. Because it was too lonely to be out there serving you. Uh -huh. I wanted to sit at the table with the rest of you. Uh -huh. No, no, no. Yeah. Priests will say, oh, look, I feel this from my heart. Sure, I feel for them. Priests will say, all oh, the people don't appreciate you. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> people don't appreciate you. You know, was somebody mean to you? People don't appreciate you. Have they crucified you lately? That's lack of appreciation. Try that one on. Have you been whipped like Paul? Were you bet? Were you thrown in jail? Were Chained. you Were you I, I'd taken out and shot and buried in a bog, which has happened down even in our recent history? Oh, very recent. A, a certain group of people have difficulty in finding the graves of people they put on them. Yeah. Remembering where they buried people. I'm not saying who. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, come on, let's, let, let's get a bit of proportion here. Okay, it has been hard. Mm. And most, a lot of priests my age are hurting, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I've had health issues, a lot of them have health issues. And I've no doubt my health issues have been related to that. And I don't grudge it. I mean, if I was in a war and I was shot, well, I'd be able to say, well, my health issues are related to my service in the war. Okay, because, you know, being shot three or four times in the stomach tends to set you back a bit. Okay, I had a stroke. And I'm, I'm sure it was partly brought on by the, you know, almost unrelieved tension of the last 20 years. Too bad about me. For our spiritual forebears in the priesthood served in the penal times, they served in different things. They were hanged in public squares. Now, come on, bit of proportion. But, I mean, this crucial thing of, of, of leading. Priests are priests, and lay people are lay people, and we are believers together, but the priests must be faithful to what they said they would do. And when they aren't faithful, they must do penance for it and try again. Mm. Not give up. Not pretend the theology was wrong. Oh, well, if we get rid of altar rails, the priests would be with the people. Some of the most arrogant priests I know have very modern ideas of liturgy. 
Okay, and some very humble men were content to serve beyond the altar rails. I'm not saying, all right, should we have altar rails or not? Okay, because that's that's one way of starting a right row. Okay, I'm not, I'm not even going to let's not go there. Okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> not at the end. No, 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 no. We'll I, we'll go there the last episode maybe <laughs> when we're near the door. So an understanding of roles. But the role is profound. You see, it's not just something you're acting. And acting is a, is a rigorous and difficult profession. It's something you've completely internalised. If your role is to be an alter Christus, as a priest's role is, another Christ, yeah. you are a servant leader. Yeah. You're a servant leader. And if they don't thank you, well, the, the upper classes never did thank the servants. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are you going to do? I suppose there is, I think, in a, with a lot of priests, there is a shame that has grown like that they must be one of the people like that. They must share the ministerial roles. They must share the sacramental ministries. They are sharing them mm-hmm. by doing their jobs. Their job is to be a priest. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, to offer the Mass and to preach the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Everything else radiates out from that. And in fact, if you offer the Mass, you are preaching the Word of God. The priest can't really preach the Word of God outside of his connection to the Mass. We could go on and talk about that for a long time. But the lay people, absolutely. L- listen, I think we're only beginning to understand fully the vocation of the laity. I would suggest to you that our present position, and here now I always like to finish with a little bit of controversy because like most uh, kind of basically very timid people, I like to think of myself as young, bright and rather ruthless. Okay, a bit dangerous. Who was it said about Lord Byron that he was mad, bad and dangerous to know? (laughs) If I was to make a suggestion here, do you remember the last suggestion I made and that made me feel so cool, uh, was that we needed a new kind of institute, probably online. Uh, that would let people take degrees in philosophy and theology, scripture, the whole thing, uh, eventually, over long periods of time to cope with their work and commitments. You know, let's say four years for a master's type of thing, or five. Okay, give them plenty of time. Do it The Americans have been at this for ages. And some institutes in Ireland are starting it. And maybe they can do it, I don't know. I just know that it's not being done exactly as I feel, because I feel we need an institute that's also providing formation. It's providing theology, philosophy, but it's also providing them in a Catholic uh, atmosphere of formation, okay, of intellectual and spiritual formation, right? And uh, so I, I think that institute would have to focus on producing leaders. And the priests are the leaders of the church. I'm sorry, but they are. Mm -hmm. So dodging that isn't going to help anything. But the doesn't lay help anybody. No, yeah. but that doesn't mean the lay people don't have leadership to exercise in the church. That it doesn't follow. Mm. The lay people have huge challenges of leadership. One of them is as parents, which is absolutely crucial. Because I've said before, there is no point in not passing on the faith to your kids or making a pig's breakfast of it, and then expecting the school to step up to the plate and do it for you. That's just not going to work. It's like a diamond merchant being asked to come up with the diamonds from scratch. Not what, that's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to train leaders at every level. We're going to have to train priests to be priests. We're going to train lay people to be lay people. We're going to have to train all the Lord's people to be prophets. And lay people are going to have to start leading in a whole load of ways that doesn't involve being priests. This business of, oh, you've lay leadership as long as you've lay people messing about in the liturgy. The priest is supposed to be. It's, that's what the priest is paid for, to put it crudely. Mm. Let them get on with it. The old people were bet- they put it, used to put it better. They used to say, they still say it in the Geltacht. Uh, they used to say, the, uh, will you read Mass, Father? Uh, they, and they still say it in the Geltacht, uh, after the lave. 
to read a to mass, read it, yeah. and then you hear mass. It comes from the old, the old Latin mass. It, the priests get on with that. Fine, let lay people read or whatever. But what's crucial is that lay people are passing on the faith to their kids. And that's going to be a highly skilled uh, occupation from now on. Mm-hmm. And passing it on to other people's kids. So we're going to, I, I'm not going to use this word catechist because I think we're living in an age, the liquid modernity age. I, I would compare it to kind of, in terms of the history of the Jewish people, it's like the exile to Babylon. It's like the uh, post-exilic period when they were back in Jerusalem, the whole place was wrecked and they had to rebuild the temple. It's like uh, after the destruction of the temple uh, by, was it Titus? I can't remember which Roman emperor did it. Okay, wrecked the temple. And then and, and, the, and the Jews were scattered and you had these rabbis in Jamnia and, and they, they basically, the, the Pharisees basically gave birth to the rabbinate. Now, this is, this is going to go down like a rat sandwich with some people. More controversy? No, yeah, I think we need to start producing Pharisees. <sighs> do you see? I've shocked even you. By crikey, I can still do it. <laughs> I might be old. I've hardly any teeth left. <laughs> I've hardly any hair left. <laughs> but I can still do it. I'm telling you, we are going to have to start producing people who know their faith and are passionate about it. Mm. With all the danger that that entails. Because we've seen with the Pharisees that you can still miss the mark. Mm. But then it's seen in the priesthood. If there, if there are people in hell, and I believe in hell, if there are people in hell, uh, and I think there's a good chance they are, I think there's an excellent chance a good few priests are. The leaders will be asked for more. I think a lot of parents will be judged harshly. The Dar, I mean, he said some awful things to parents. Oh, cheapers, he was really harsh. It reminds me, you reminded me of a, a talk that Father Mike Schmitz, the American priest, gave a, a while back. And he spoke about what is the purpose of parenting. Hmm. And he said that we have this notion in our world today that parenting is about protecting and guiding and protecting them from the evils of the world. He said, no, that's not what parenting is. He said, parenting is making your child courageous. That's it. It's teaching them everything that you've learned, everything that you came across, passing it on so that when they head out into the world, hmm. that they are courageous. To it's not it. brainwashing. And it can't be confused with brainwashing. It's not indoctrination. On the contrary, you are training a young mind to the extent that it can be turned on you. And it can be turned on the faith. And if it happens, you have to suck it up. And it will happen. It does happen. It did happen in the past. So we need to be training parents. And we need to be training... I I think I get rid of the word catechist because there's something about it that sounds... I don't know, like a compensation or second rate. We need to get back to the idea of, of I don't know, rabbis, teachers, a teaching profession within the church. Mm. So that the priest should have it as a matter of course, but also uh, we need to, a good few lay people, not deacons necessarily, they might become deacons, not deacons, but I'm thinking of men and women who simply become, for want of a better word, okay, rabbis, teachers. Yeah. We need synagogues. We need places, let's say, that aren't the church where people will meet on a more regular basis, let's say in a house, to just pray together and to study the scriptures together. And, and we need people who can teach and take those sessions. And I contend to you then the priesthood will come into its own. Mm. Because if you, have an, if you have a properly formed laity, boy, will they uh, make demands on the clergy. And the clergy are never at their best, better, than when the people are demanding on them they will not be satisfied with anything less mm. than the real thing. 
that's when the priesthood will start to lead in the profoundest sense in which the priest is a leader. Starting with the Mass, that by his personal holiness, by his, by his example, by his learning, he doesn't have to be terribly bright, but by his learning, by his love of the sacred scriptures, his love of the sacred tradition, the holy tradition, the magisterium of the church, which is being used like a dirty word, which is the most beautiful word from the Latin magister, meaning teacher. We call the church mater et magistra, mother and teacher, the feminine, mother and teacher. Mm. We need a teachership, a teacher. So for all of us listening now, what do we need to do now? I, I think you need to focus on the lay people you know who have a real hunger for this, and especially the young ones, but not necessarily just the young ones. Encourage them to start getting edgy and, and making demands on us. That passion is a good thing. Start demanding orthodoxy. Start demanding uh, a more profound preaching. Of, your, of their parish yeah. priests? I think you're right. I would love it if some young Catholic came in to me and said, I'm, I'm sick of your Catholic Disneyland down there and, 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 and your easy sermons. I, I demand profound orthodoxy. <laughs> I demand wit and, and dash and spectacular sermons. Now just get up off your backside and come up with the goods. I mean, what a thing to have said to you. I mean, that's just magnificent. Chesterton said that one of the grandest things he ever heard a mother say to her child was when he heard a, a, a woman at a market stall in the east end of London shout at her son who was annoying her, Tommy, will you stop annoying me and go away and play? He said, what a thing to say to a child. Magnificent. Splendid. What a thing to say to a priest. Will you go away and study? Will you go away and say mass like a saint? Will you just get out of my sight and preach like San Carlo Borromeo? And, and, and so that's how I'm going to end. I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. We need to start producing prophets. And training prophets is like raising thoroughbreds. It's a serious business. And it's very expensive. Okay, you're dealing with bloodstock here. You're dealing with purebreds, right? I mean, in terms of spirituality. And so I'm saying with Kierkegaard, that, 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 that depressed old Dane, thank God for him. I'm saying with him, let's get back to the Old Testament and Shakespeare, the better to understand the New Testament and the modern world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. St. Brendan, pray, pray for, for us. Him. Thank you very much, Father Brendan. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and family. Please hit the like and subscribe button. Please leave a comment allowing us to know what you think about our episodes and maybe what you would like to hear, which will allow this podcast to grow. But nothing grows in God's name without prayer. So we ask you to pray for us and to pray for Immaculate Productions. God bless you and we will see you next time on The Brendan Option. <laughs>